everybody. Special welcome to those of you who are with us for maybe the second time after being with us for the first time at Christmas Eve services. It's absolutely great to have you have you back. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident that the eight o'clock service will not be staying up till midnight tonight. <laughs> 11 o'clock, I definitely know they will for sure be up till midnight. I'm not sure about 9.30, what do you think? <laughs> no, mostly no, okay, okay. By the way, we have plenty of space at the eight o'clock service if you guys wanna bump it up a little bit too, so uh, yeah. Well, um, we are gonna be stepping back into our series in Romans that we left off in November. We're gonna cover the last section of Romans chapter eight. And maybe one of the best ways to set this up is to tell you the story about John Bunyan, lived in the 1660s. He uh, was a great Puritan preacher and author. But at one point in his life, he, by his own admission, suffered from severe depression. You might not know that, severe depression. Until he began meditating on the words of our text this morning. He said the more he reflected upon Romans chapter eight, the more the clouds began to lift and he felt God drawing him out of the distress he was experiencing. Understandable. We look around us, we look at the world, we look at circumstances out there and it can be distressing, it can be depressing. And then you look within. And while there are certain moments of joy, things that we can find bring us happiness and contentment, they always seem to be followed quickly by thoughts of discontent. The things in our lives that are unwanted, things that keep us up at night, conflict, interpersonal conflict, And then the words of the Bible begin to settle into our hearts and minds as we too begin to reflect on them. I don't know if there is a better way to start 2024 than by focusing on this text. Specifically, there's a line that Bunyan read and it began to transform his outlook almost immediately. And the line from our text is this. If God is for us, who is against us? If God is for us, who is against us? Now to put it in its larger context is to read this, Romans chapter eight, beginning with verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. I have found that this text, in general by the Christian community, is largely misunderstood. Very often it's used in a flippant way. Maybe this has happened to you. You're going through something and it's particularly challenging and then another brother or sister comes alongside you and says, well, don't worry. You know, God works all things out for good. And you're like, thank you, thank you because you don't always feel that. Even if you believe it to be true, and there are times when you wrestle with that and you're like, really? That's not how I'm feeling about this because I'm losing sleep over it. You know, I'm really wrestling with this. Well, it's as if the Apostle Paul anticipates your feelings, actually, 
and he's going to take you and transcend those feelings. And he does this in a way that, I have to pause here and say this, to forewarn you, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. I'm gonna get a little bit technical in this sermon, and I'm gonna get technical with some of the original language because as I do so, it's gonna help us understand the depth and the meaning and just how profound and how relevant, how helpful this text is to us, okay? So I'm gonna need to do that, all right? Having said that, let me say this. Paul wants to lift you beyond the feeling to get you to concentrate on the truth. And in order to do that, he's going to use some very specific Greek words, very, very intentional with his word choice. So the first word he uses is oimen. That's the word he uses, translated as English, no. For we know. It's a very interesting word because it's the word used to describe certainty. It's, it's a knowledge that's beyond the shadow of a doubt. Okay? You're absolutely certain about it. Absolutely, totally convinced that it is true. In fact, this is the same word, Greek word, root word, that John uses to convince you, to help you understand that you can know for certain that you're going to heaven when you die. Okay, let me show it to you. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe. He's like, he's, he's given this, 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 these great theological statements about who God is, who you are, what God has done for you. And then he says, now let me help you understand why I'm laying this stuff down for you. Okay, here, here's, here's the reason why. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that would be Jesus, that you may know, there's your word, root word is oida. It's almost the same word that Paul uses. We know, we know that God works all things for good for those who love him, that you may know that you have eternal life. This is absolute assurance. Notice also that this assurance is not actually for everybody. He qualifies it. We know for those who love God, all things work together for good. In other words, this promise is only for Christians. More so, he presses in and he says, for those who love God. Now, here's the question, right? How do you know that you love God? Well, in John chapter 14, Jesus says, here's how you know. He says, if you obey me, you love me. If you keep my commands, that's how you know that you love me. You care about the things I care about. And to love something is to set your affections upon it. And so therein lies the question, what is the object of your ultimate affection? If it is the things of God, then you will obey God. That's how you know you love God. Now, how does God work all of these circumstances in your life? And when all, that's the word, right? All, all meaning the things that you want to come into your life and the things that you don't want, but they're coming anyways. I've said many times, life has a way of taking things away from you. Life has a way of bringing things across your doorstep and you're like, no, 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 and here it is. And you can't stop it. Things that you do from your own misguided actions that bring things into your life that are unwanted, then there are things that just come across and you're like, I, I didn't see this coming. I'm always like this in 2024. I always get like this. Or, or when, I, when, I, when a new year approaches, I'm like, what is this year gonna hold? <laughs> you know, there are some things you can anticipate, then there's a lot of things where you're like, I don't know what phone call am I gonna get that I didn't expect? What loss am I going to experience? You know, what distress is gonna come into my life? It's gonna be something, it's gonna be something. And the text says, God uses all of it for good. Uh, there's another word that helps us understand 
how this all fits together. Uh, I'm going to give you the English, I'm going to give you the Greek pronunciation of the words translated into English as work together, okay? You'll probably recognize it's English equivalent, okay? Here's the Greek word, synergy, synergy. What's it sound like? Synergy, synergy. So this is interesting because he's saying God works everything synergistically in your life. Uh, What is synergy? Synergy is the cooperation of two or more things to produce something that would have a greater impact than if those things were acting alone. That's what it means to work synergistically. So you see see what's being said? God is using all of these things in your life, the good, the bad, the wanted, and the unwanted. And he's, he's, he's just, together, they are producing things in you that could not be produced on their own. All of the circumstances in your life, good and bad, God is weaving together to form this tapestry. And Christian, know that the author, creator, sustainer of all life is really good at this. I mean, this is the God who speaks things into existence, ex nihilo, out of nothing. This doesn't mean that everything in your life will end up as you want it to be. At some point in your life, as you pick up some age, you begin to think, huh, I didn't think my life would be like this. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. God is working these things synergistically. One more important point that really gets at the heart of understanding here. If God works all of these things for good, what does that even mean? What is good? (laughs) You know, like what does that look like? Well, thankfully, he tells you. And it has to do with your calling according to his purposes. God has a purpose on your life that is defined by your calling. What is a calling? A calling is a a compulsion to a particular way of life. What does that life look like? Well, he tells you in the next verse. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. There it is. Did you catch it? That's the follow-up verse. He's defining what the good is. The good is not some really happy circumstance like, oh, great, now this suffering has come to an end. The good is being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You've heard me say many times if you've been around, God always blesses the greatest likeness to his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus learned obedience, the scriptures tell us, through his what? suffering. God uses the pain, the heartache in his tapestry to weave within you the image of Jesus that would otherwise not be there. You know it to be true. 
pain, heartache, discomfort, very often God's megaphone in your life saying, pay attention. There's something about to be produced in you and through you that would otherwise not be there without the hardship. You were called to be conformed to the image of Jesus, and that is the ultimate good. So, you look ahead, or you, even now, whatever present distresses are in your life, whatever will come in 2024, those distresses are not for your destruction, but they're meant for your transformation, if you see it that way. And if you don't see the transformation aspect of it, you're going to be stuck. You're going to be spiritually stunted. The spiritual muscle will be weak. And rather than take on the image of Jesus, you will take on your natural disposition, and that is the disposition of the flesh, and you will actually be at odds with God, and you will start to question God. That's why he says, Oedman, you need to know this with absolute assurance. God wants to produce something good in your life, but hold on for the ride. Uh, What is uh, the calling on Jesus' life to bring people into the kingdom? That gets very real in the face of your own suffering. Give you an example of this. I think uh, this hit me more profoundly for for the first time, perhaps when I was in high school, I had a close friend and her father was diagnosed with a terminal illness. He had just a few years to live. And it just so happened that he was a strong, strong believer in Jesus. He, he would face his own mortality in, su- in such a, it just didn't make any worldly sense. He embraced it, almost looked forward to what was to come. And at that time, remarkably, in the church we were all attending, the pastor was teaching through the book of Job. And this dude would sit, he was sitting like a second or third row. Every single week he would show up and he would hear the pastor preach about Job and his endless suffering. And man, you could hear this guy, he'd be like, amen, amen. And he'd be like, wait, wait, what? You're giving the amen? He was living what the pastor was preaching. And toward the end of the sermon, the pastor had him come up and he said, you know the story? Some of you don't tell it. He tells his story and you could hear a pin I tell you what, man, if I want to know what you really believe, I'm going to talk to you on your deathbed. (laughs) Then you're going to tell me. And so he had a business associate who didn't know Christ. He was so moved by this man's faith, he, he started attending church with him. That dude gets saved. He comes up and speaks at the guy's funeral, and he says, through my friend's pain, heartache, loss and distress, I came to know Jesus. Because he had something I didn't have. When I looked at death, it was nothing but, not gonna think about that. It's been said that man's life is one long effort to avoid it. And this guy embraced it, and it changed his friend. God works everything synergistically to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. And when you reflect the image of Jesus to this world, watch out, you will have, then you will understand your true calling and purpose. That's literally, that's what the text is telling you. Now, I know that there's some theological neatniks in the room, so let me say this. 
I'll get to predestination, election, sovereignty, free will choice in chapters nine and 10, all right? Spare me the emails. <laughs> it's coming, don't worry, it's coming. Chapter nine, verse one, you're like, wait, what happened to this like crescendo ending in eight? You know, it's like, has God rejected Israel? Has God failed his people? The tone changes dramatically next week, okay? Buckle up for that. We're gonna go into the deep end. For now, I wanna bring out one word. I just wanna highlight one word. Because Paul goes on and he talks about the fullness of the trajectory of this kind of lifestyle and attitude for the Christian. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Why? For what purpose? In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, Jesus set the pattern for us. You know, it's like that firstborn didn't necessarily mean the one who arrived first, but it's the rights and privileges of one who who is to inherit things. That's Jesus. He started it. That's the pattern. So the rest of us are patterned after him. That's what he's saying. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We'll get into the languaging next week, but let me just speak to this word glorified. It's such an amazing thought. Um, Before time began, God foreknew and predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. Then he gives us his calling. And then on top of that, what happens is he gives you his spirit and it's the Holy Spirit that quickens the human spirit that allows all this to happen in some quasi-mysterious way that I don't fully understand. It's kind of like the the conversation that Jesus has with this guy, Nicodemus. He's he's like, I got questions about salvation and how one is saved, right? He's like, "Um, explain it to me, Jesus. And so Jesus essentially says, well, it's kind of like the wind. The wind just kind of blows wherever it wants to and Nobody really gives it instruction or direction. He's like, that's the spirit of God and how the spirit of God works. There's some mystery to it. But the end result is all glorification, which is another way of describing the fullness of what God wants to do in your life. That's a a description of the eternal state, okay? And, And all that you have, to receive then and there, absolutely freed from the very presence of sin on this earth, a transformed, glorified body. That's all in that concept of glorification. Now, here's what's really interesting about the languaging here. Because, okay, back, all right, this gets lost on us in, in English, but back in the day, in, 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 if you were wanted to dis- tell somebody that, listen, there's a future event that is so certain to happen, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it as if it was in the past. Does that make sense? It's a future event, but I want you to know it is so certain to happen, I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna talk to you like it's already happened. So what they would do is they would use the, the Greek tense, the past Greek tense, to describe a future event for the purpose of letting you know it's a done deal. For example, you might ask me to do something for you. And so I respond by saying, hey, consider it done. Well, it hasn't been done yet, but what I'm telling you is nothing's gonna stop me. Nothing will stop me from completing it. Well, in reality, there's a lot of things that could stop me. I could die. I could get sick. Chances are I'm gonna forget what I told you. Okay, that's most likely what's gonna happen. I'm gonna forget about it. You know what I'm saying? There's lots of things. that Nothing is going to stop God. Nothing will prevent him from following through on what he has to say. And that's why Paul puts this word glorification in the past tense. He's like, it's already done. It's already done. So, So this is pretty good. So what he's telling you is, 
Live like it. <laughs> Live like it. Live like your future eternal state is so secure. Live today in light of eternity. Okay? That's how secure you should be. So your thoughts, your actions, your attitudes, everything reflecting the image of Jesus Christ, the fullness of that, already accomplished, already done. So I told you the languaging was great. We'll get into more details with this uh, next week. Um, all right, so now, as if we needed more confidence in what God has done for us and for our good, read on. Consider this, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? How do we know that God is for us? He tells you. Next verse, 32. Because God didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, what more could God do to show the depth of his love? We have a saying around here, the greater the sacrifice, the greater the love. So let's say you come to my house and you say, hey, Jason, I need to borrow a car. Okay, so there's, you have a couple of options, right? I can hand you the keys to the 2000 Dodge Grand Caravan, which I bought in 2000, and it currently has 200,000 miles on it. Actually, I just sold it last month, okay? I thought about keeping it for another year because, you know, in 2025, I could hang historical license plates on that thing. That would blow your mind. A lot of you would feel real old right there seeing that thing cruising around town. You'd be like, I had one of those, wait, what? 25 years old, historical. Or... I could hand you the keys to the car that's newer, nicer, and far more reliable. So you're standing in my driveway, you're standing between these two cars, and I say, wait here, let me go get the keys. And I grab the keys to the van. Here you go. Now, what are you thinking? He knows my driving record. <laughs> or he doesn't trust me. Jason is not giving me his best. Jason is withholding from me something that's more valuable to him. That's the impression. And you wouldn't be wrong. So do you see what, what this is really good. I mean, talk about being confident. You can see why the depression lifted when he's reading, he's meditating on these verses. If God didn't withhold his son from you in the midst of your distress, your heartache, your sorrow, your grief, do you think he's going to withhold something else that's good for you? I mean, what, what? do you not understand? He's gonna give you every good thing. He's not gonna withhold any good thing from you. I know it's difficult through the fog of misery. It's difficult to see the other side. But what Paul is telling you is the other side is good because the other side is Jesus. Uh, this is all positive. What about the negative? You live like Jesus. You become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and your life doesn't necessarily get easier. Jesus would look at his followers and say, they hated me, so guess what, boys? They're gonna hate you too. What's the worst thing that can happen to you? You'd be condemned by others? Even this God will not allow. 
Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies, not man. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. He set you free from that condemnation. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? So uh, if people or spiritual forces attempt to condemn you, judge you, malign you, silence you, cancel you, by the way, let me, let me just say this real quick. I, this is an observation I've had more recently. Uh, when you speak truth in our time and people want to shut you up, that is actually nowadays how you know you are speaking truth. Because they don't want to have conversations with you they don't want to debate. They don't, have it. they don't want to discuss it with you. And the reason why is because it's very difficult to refute the truth. So it's much, much easier for them to say, you can't say that. Well, let's talk about it. Let, let's discuss it. No, we're not going to discuss it. You can't say that. We don't want you to say that. You're probably speaking truth. Jesus silenced all of those charges. He silences all of them. It's as if he says, this one's with me. By virtue of my nail-scarred hands, nothing said about this one will stick. Who is there to condemn this one? I have set this one free. This one is in the truth. Be bold. Be courageous. Why? Because in the end, nothing will separate you from the love of God. Now, this is where Paul begins to pile up these joyful expressions, one after another. And this might be the most joyful section of the entire Bible. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, then what Paul does is he's, he's going to give you a little taste of his autobiography. If you know what this guy's been through, he's speaking from experience. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Paul has experienced all of this shipwreck. They attempted to kill him several times, whipped several times, imprisoned, constantly in danger for his life. As it is written, and he's gonna quote the psalmist. In other words, he's gonna say, this is nothing new. God's people have been suffering these things for their, their history, basically. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You realize in India and in parts of Africa, there are literally thousands of Christians being killed for their faith. Love the story of the Iraqi pastor who gets arrested. And from his jail cell, little window on the second floor, he preaches a sermon to his small congregation gathered on the outside of the prison wall. We won't come to church because we have a slight remodel inconvenience. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Yet another Greek superlative from Paul here. You might recognize this word, the word for conquerors, Greek word, Nico, Nikomen. You might be wearing the shoes, Nike. Victory, But Paul adds a prefix. You'll recognize this Greek prefix, hyper. Hyper nikomen. 
Victorious, no, not victorious. Beyond victorious. What is beyond victorious? I don't even know. That's what he says. You are beyond victorious, Christian. In the end, you win. Not because of your human nature, because of something that you summon up inside of you, but because of what Jesus has divinely achieved for you. Now, at this point, Paul takes everything off the leash. And he switches from the third person to the first person. He moves from we to I in the middle of this cascade of joyful expressions, piling one on top of the other. And I don't know, maybe the best way for me to describe this is if you've had some kind of church background and you know the preacher's getting after it, he's spitting and he's sweating and he's wiping his brow, and then there's someone on the Hammond B3 organ back there playing some crazy fills in between, you know what I'm talking about? Hyping everybody up, right? And everything's building and building and building and building. That's what's going on here. This is like a mic drop moment, okay? For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says what everybody out there fears the most, death, no fear at all. No, in fact, for me, that is the grand entrance into glorification. Bring it. All day long, we're being persecuted. Yeah, that's our tradition, Christian. By the way, if it's in some measure not coming your way, you may have some questions to ask yourself. Uh, What a great, great passage for us to memorize in 2024. You feeling discouraged with your life circumstances? Meditate on this. You feeling depressed? Meditate on this. I'm reading this uh, biography on the life of Martin Luther, and uh, he describes himself in a very interesting way, and in many ways I can relate to it, obviously on a much smaller level, but I can still relate to it with the ministry that God has given me. He says, I feel like I'm always smashing rocks and breaking through walls and slaying demons and plowing ground. Two things get me through. Number one, you. You. Specifically, it's your prayers. Your prayers for me and my family. Do not stop. Keep them coming. We pray for you. Important for you to hear that from your pastor. Pray for me. Pray for my family as we pray for you, okay? Number two, the other thing that gets me through, Jason, God is for you. Who's against you? That's not to say there will be no one against you. There will be people. There are people against me. I get snipered all the time, man. I'm getting more and more emails. I know you're a sniper. (laughs) I know you're trying to snipe me. It's okay. God is on my side. I'm gonna be gentle, I'm gonna be gracious. I'm gonna do all the things that God is working in me in the midst of my own distress to conform me to Jesus so I can fulfill my calling and purpose. And I'll tell you what, that's where life's greatest joys lie. C.S. Lewis, I'm reading his book again, Surprised by Joy, and he says joy 
is not like happiness. We can pursue happiness. Joy is different, Christian joy. Joy is actually the pursuit of grief. Because when you pursue grief, you understand that God is working that to bring joy into your life. And joy cannot be taken away from you. And joy resides in being like Jesus. That's profound. He's exactly right. So I don't know if there's any better way to start the new year than by remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross through communion. And so that's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads just to prepare your hearts for this time. What a great reflection moment, correct? I mean, listen, if, uh, if God didn't spare his own son, and that's what we're about to reflect on, what other good thing do you think he's gonna withhold from you? Nothing. Your distress is not for your destruction. It is for your deepening. So Father, as we enter into this time, I pray that your spirit would speak and move. I pray that the, the words of this unbelievably rich text would settle in and that we would be transformed. We pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.